Good evening. It's uh, so crazy uh, to be here on a Wednesday night. I uh, oversaw a lot of this project, me and Pastor Richie, when it was in the construction phase, and I stood on the stage a whole bunch of times with uh, a lot of workers, but I, I didn't stand here with people, and it's a very different feel, and I am... I am a little nervous, but I am very honored to be in this house tonight. I'm very honored that Pastor Kevin trusts me enough uh, to allow me to uh, get on the microphone, especially being the CFO. You never know what I might say. But uh, I am super thankful. I am honored to be here with such close friends, with our executive pastor, Richie Hughes, and our campus pastor, Chris Horvath, very dear, close friends to me. And I'm excited to have my family here tonight, who uh, I grew up in Athens across the river, uh, you know, in McMinn County. And uh, they are here tonight, and I thank them, and my sister and her husband are here tonight, and uh, so honored to have them with us. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, so I know some of you may not have heard me before, and that's okay, because uh, we'll get to know each other tonight. And uh, I expect you to talk back to me. And I expect you to answer, and, and let's have some dialogue, and let's have some fun, and we're going to learn a little bit uh, about the kingdom. This is something that's been very near and dear to my heart. Uh, kind of since the first of the year when we had our New Year's Eve service, the Lord spoke to me something about His kingdom, and I believe this is going to be something that we hear across the world, uh, a emphasis on the kingdom of God. And the Lord spoke something to me, and I, it's just been burning in my soul, and I'm so excited about being able to share it tonight, and I hope you are too. So tonight, we have a very interesting topic. We are going to talk about the oxymoronic kingdom. The oxymoronic kingdom. Now, does anybody know what an oxymoron is? A couple people? Literary device that we use where we take two words that don't mean the same thing, and we put them together. Like if we said somebody was pretty ugly. You know, we put two things together that don't mean anything alike. So it comes from the Greek. It comes from two words in the Greek. It comes from the word oxus, which means sharp. And it comes from the word moros, which you would easily translate into the English as moron. Um, the moros means foolish. So oxymoron means sharp, foolish. It's a contrasting, right? So we're going to talk about the oxymoronic kingdom. It is a kingdom, this sharp, foolish kingdom. What does that mean? Well, let's turn in our Bibles, if you will. It should be on your screen. We're going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18 and go through 29. Yes, it's on there. For the word of the cross is folly, or translated foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom uh, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God through the foolishness or folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers. This is, this is great. This is where Paul kind of disses them a little bit. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low in the world and despised in the world and even the things that are not to bring, thing, to, bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, I know that was a long scripture. So what does it mean? It means that God's kingdom works in complete contrast with the world. It means that God's kingdom looks nothing like an earthly kingdom. It means that when we look at God's kingdom and we compare it, it is the oxymoron. It is the complete contrasting of everything that we see in the world around us. Think about it. From Scripture, we learn and we understand that in God's kingdom, if you want to live, you must first die. If you want to be first, you have to be last. And this is where I always think of Talladega Nights, you know, where he says, if you're not first, you are last, right? No, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be the first, you have to be the last. If you want to be wise, you have to become a fool. If you want to be rich, you have to give away money. If you want to be the leader, you must become the servant. If you want to be rewarded openly, you must do good things in secret. If you want victory, you must embrace defeat. In God's kingdom, we love our enemies. We bless those who curse us. We give to those who can't give back to us. We turn the cheek to the one who strikes. We are silent before the accusers. We forgive seven times 70, and I'm going to count it. It's 490. 490 times a day we forgive when we are wronged. It's an oxymoronic kingdom. It doesn't make any sense to our flesh. It doesn't make any sense to the world. It doesn't make any sense that when Jesus is standing at his trial being accused and facing death that he says absolutely nothing. And he does not defend himself. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that when Stephen is being stoned by a crowd that hates him, that he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. It makes no sense for Paul to change his entire life knowing that he's going to be persecuted, knowing that he's going to be rejected, knowing that he's going to be thrown out of the Sanhedrin, knowing he's going to be thrown out of every synagogue for the gospel of Christ. It's an oxymoronic kingdom. So I want to look at these a little closer tonight. And can we celebrate? I know you guys can hear the youth group over there. Can we celebrate them? I love hearing that sound coming through that wall because my son's over there playing guitar right now. My daughter's in the altar right now. Your kids are probably over there right now, and they're going in, and I want to celebrate that. That's amazing. I love that. Let's look at a kingdom of humility versus a world of pride. Scripture says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It also says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus said, when you are invited to a, a dinner, a banquet, go sit in the lowest place. 
so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Or maybe you remember the prayers in the parable that Jesus talked about, the prayers of the Pharisee and the prayers of the tax collector. And the Pharisee is standing there in, in, in the synagogue and in the temple, and he is thanking God for how good he is. Thank you, God, that I am a tither. Thank you, Lord God, that I'm not a sinner like this tax collector over here. Thank you, God, that I have all my stuff put together. And the tax collector, Jesus said, beats his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus tells them, he says, the tax collector will go justified and forgiven, but the Pharisee will not. Again, he says, the world, it works off of pride. Scripture calls it the pride of life. The pride of life. Look how much I make. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my spouse. Now, I like to look at my spouse. I think I married way up. Look at what I have. Look at my toys, my boats, my vehicles, my jet skis, my rings. I'll go to the girls too. Uh huh. My jewelry, my purse, my shoes, my Louis. Uh huh. Look at what I have. Okay, you know, okay, that, that's, that's worldly, right? We can talk about that's, that's in the Well, let's just go to the church. Look at how much I give. Look at where I sit. Look at my worship. Look at my position I have. Look at my fasting. Look at my righteousness. We want to project out what we want people to see because we have so much pride in us. But that's not kingdom. Kingdom is to be humble. Do you know what the word humble means? Anybody? Humble means to get low. That's what it means. While everybody is trying to exalt themselves, humble simply means to go low. When Abraham saw the Lord coming, he bowed himself down to the ground seven times. He humbled himself. Jesus, who did not think it, uh, of himself to make himself equal to God, humbled himself and came down in the form of flesh and blood. His kingdom is a kingdom of humility. Remember the temptations that Satan tempted him with? If you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You'll rule over this entire world. How many of you remember being in high school? I remember getting into high school. I was horrible in middle school. Horrible. I detested myself in middle school. And I got to high school, and it wasn't much better. I played sports. I was an athlete. I played uh, freshman baseball, JV baseball, varsity baseball. And I was the stuff in my head. In my head, I was the greatest. Confidence took on a whole different level and really wasn't confidence. It was really just pride. And I had, a, I had the strut. You know, anybody, walk, anybody in high school walk with a strut, you know? 
You walk down the hall. I was a freshman. I act like I own the place. And I treated people terribly. I was class president, but I treated a lot of people, if they weren't in my group or they didn't dress like me or they didn't look like me, I treated them pretty awful. And that's the things that will haunt you later in life is how you treat people. And one day I remember I had this epiphany and, and God got a hold of me that summer. Thank God. Got a hold of me and baptized me in the Holy Spirit and turned my life around. But I remember going, what am I trying to accomplish? Am I really trying to be the best of 400 kids in Athens, Tennessee? And that is the epitome of what I want? Is that really what the epitome I want? Think about it. Is that the epitome of what you want is to have 10,000 followers on Facebook? Is that the epitome of what you want for everybody to put the little like button beside what you post? Is the epitome of what you want for people to think you have it all together? It's the pride. And God's kingdom says you got to let go of all that. If you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. It's a kingdom of putting others first versus a world of selfish ambition. In Romans, it says, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In Philippians, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The golden rule. What is the golden rule? Do unto others... There we go. There's some dialogue. Yeah, it was you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them to do. The, the golden rule, right? We all know that. We all know what the golden rule is. What about a parable that Jesus told? He said, actually, it's not even a parable. It's more of a, a teaching. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer and say, Truly I say, as you did unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And we know the rest of that story that on the left-hand side, he turns to them and he says, You did not visit me. You did not feed me. You did not clothe me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you in all this distress and we didn't do these things and he says even as you did not do it unto the least of these you didn't do it unto me the kingdom of God is always about putting others first and putting yourself last and God will take care of you when you take care of what God loves and what does God loves he loves people he loves people and when we take care of people and we put people first, then God loves what we are doing. And there is a reward for us when we take care of 
his people. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just Pastor Richie's job or Pastor Chris or Pastor Kevin to take care of people. It is everyone's job to take care of people. It's everyone's job in the kingdom of God. You're all kingdom citizens. Anybody in here saved? Okay, then you're a kingdom citizen. As a kingdom citizen, you are to put others first. I see so much in this world of striving to get ahead, right? Striving to get on top. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to climb on top of whoever I got to do. I'm going to be cutthroat. I'm going to do whatever I do to get what I want. That's the way the world operates. That is not the way the kingdom operates. The kingdom operates by I'm going to serve so I can lead. Jesus put the towel around him and he got down and he washed their feet and he served them and he said, this that I am doing, I need you to do this as well. I need you to do this. It's a commandment to serve, to get down and to serve one another. I always joke around, you know, the one commandment nobody keeps, confess your sins one to another. And nobody keeps that commandment. Don't lie in here. You know you've never done that. Nobody sits there. I'm not going to tell anybody about business. I'm not going to tell anybody all the dark secrets. I'm not going to tell them, open my closet and tell them all the stuff. Nobody wants to do that. But you know you're commanded to do that? Why don't we do that? Because we don't trust that we put others first. We don't trust one another. And so you have a body of Christ that has a whole lot of issues because the body can't self-heal. We were talking about today about chiropractic care. I'm a big fan of chiropractic care because their motto is the God built your body to heal itself. God built his body to heal itself. And when we put others first, we are furthering the body. I was teaching in RSM uh, two weeks ago, I believe, and I was, I was doing a job shadow and I was telling them about my job at the church, what I do as a CFO and what I'm responsible for. And they looked at me and they said, well, what happens if something happens to you? And I said, that's a great question. I am trying to find a replacement for me. Now, I don't want to quit. And I don't want to go anywhere. But I want to find a replacement for me. I want to find somebody who can do my job 10 times better than I can. And you would look at me and go, that's stupid. Why would you do that? You're just going to give, give your job away. You're just going to give up your position. It's not my position. It's a kingdom position. I want somebody to come in behind me and do my job 10 times better than me because who does that benefit? It benefits the king. It benefits the kingdom. We have to get in a mindset of an oxymoronic kingdom that doesn't make sense with what you and I are used to as norms. We have to change our mindsets. This last one is probably the biggest. It's a kingdom of love versus a world of hate. I think we can all agree that God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. After all, in Scripture, in 1 John, he says, God is love. Jesus said that the whole Old Testament could be summed up in two commandments. To love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second 
is likened to, which means it's the same as, to love your neighbor as yourself. John goes on to explain that we cannot love God who we have seen if we do not love our brother who we have seen. If I can't love a God who I've not seen, if I can't love a person in front of me who I can see. Actually, John goes so strong as to say, you're a liar. And the love of God is not in you. If you say you love God but hate your brother, he says you are a liar. The love of God does not dwell in you. Because if we love God, in order to do that, I have to love people. If I want to If I want to serve God, I have to serve people. If I want to obey the greatest commandment, I have to fulfill the second. So it's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of putting the priority first, and the priority is always going to be love. Paul says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Again, Jesus commands us to love one another. And that in, his, in, in that word, that word in the Greek, we are so gypped in English translations. I am so sorry. But if you read the Bible in the Greek, it is an amazing, amazing book uh, that sometimes you get gypped on the English translation because we have the word love. The Greeks had a lot of words for love. You got eros, which is erotic love. You had phileo, which is brotherly love. But you had agape, which was the highest form of love there was. An agape love meant it was a sacrificial, unconditional love. The Greeks esteemed it to be the the highest form that there could be of love. In English, it was just all love to us. And I think that really, it hurts us. It hurts us in our translation. It also hurts us in understanding his kingdom. Because this sacrificial, unconditional love is very different than how sometimes we just say love. How many of you end a phone call with I love you? Sometimes. Or you get that like, kind of more of the uh, with your bros, you know, I love you, man. You know that? And we say it so flippantly that we don't usually take into consideration what it really is saying, what we're really conveying. But when we're talking about love and we're, all these scriptures that I've read to you about love, every time the word used is agape. Every time that's meaning sacrificial, unconditional love. It refers to how God loves us. Romans 5.8 is a perfect example. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The world is not built on love. The world is built on hate and malice and conditional love. And this conditional love is usually demonstrated in a bunch of different ways. But most of the time when I see an absence in a relationship of a true agape, unconditional love, I see it be replaced with things like manipulation, control. Usually there's some fear in there. So when I see an absence of agape in my life, in my 40 years on this earth, which is not, I guess, an extremely long time, even though it feels like it this year, I have seen so many times that true love be replaced by manipulation, by fear, by control, by conditions. Well, I love you if you do what I want you to do. 
And I'll love you if you act the way I want you to act. You know, that's how Jesus says you can love your neighbor, because it's unconditional. You know that's how Jesus says you can love your enemy? Because it's unconditional. If it was conditional love, then I wouldn't love my enemy. Because you did something bad to me, and I should not like you for that. I should be angry with you for that. I should hold unforgiveness for that. If I'm operating out of the worldly kingdom, I should do the opposite of God's kingdom. I should be in an oxymoronic relationship on that end of it and treat people horribly that are enemies of mine. But God says, no, you love them because it's an unconditional love. It doesn't matter what they did to you. I think it's, is it, it's Luke, isn't it, Misty? Yeah, we were just talking about this this week. In Luke He's talking about how many times we forgive, and we all know that, that passage. But in Luke, he says it a little differently. He says, if they go up to you and wrong you, and they come back and they wrong you again, and they come back and they wrong you again, and seven times they wrong you, and seven times they come back and say, I'm sorry. He says, not you, you forgive them. He says, you must forgive them. You must forgive them. I'm going to go Jesus-style teaching here. You have heard it said, fool me once, shame on on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Anybody heard that saying before? That's not biblical. Fool me 20 times. I've got to forgive you. I've got to forgive you. The commandment is to forgive. Do you know it says that if we do not forgive, that we would be locked in a prison? And you know who locks you in that prison? God. Read that parable. Matthew 18 is a scary chapter. We always quote it when we want to reconcile with somebody. But Matthew 18 is a scary chapter. Because it says that if I hold unforgiveness, that I will be put into a prison by the master. So we have to forgive. That This right here is what sets us apart from the world. This is how they will know that you are a disciple by the way you love one another. And I'll add to that, by the way you forgive one another. If we love people, then we forgive them. And I don't mean that I forgive you, but I'm not going to talk to you again. Or that don't mean I'm, I'm the, I forgive you, but when I, when I pass you in the lobby, I'm going to turn around and go a different way. That's not forgiveness. Is that how God forgave you? I, did a, I don't know about you, but I did a lot of bad stuff, I feel like, to God. I put him on a cross. Has anybody in here put Jesus on a cross? Well, you did by being born. So if you're alive in here, yes, you put him on a cross. Did anybody put you on a cross, crucify you and kill you? So if he could forgive me for that, I think we could pretty much forgive anybody, right? If he could forgive us for what we did, we killed him. I'm pretty sure we can forgive anybody around us. 
because nobody's done that to us. We have to forgive. We have to walk in the kingdom of love. You see, walking in God's kingdom, this oxymoronic kingdom, is what will draw people to Jesus Christ because it's unlike anything they've ever seen in their life. It makes no sense. And when they do you wrong and you forgive them and you love them unconditionally, they go, why are you doing that? What is different about you that you do this, that you act like this? Pastor said it, I think it was last week or the week before, he said it is the goodness of God that draws us to redemption. It's the goodness of God. And so when we live in this kingdom and we operate in this kingdom, this oxymoronic kingdom, it draws people to Christ because they see something different in us. They see a Christ in us. If I did all the scripture references tonight, we'd be here until next week. We could teach about the kingdom until Jesus comes back. And we still wouldn't touch it all. If you'd stand with me. I had a, uh, a pastor when I was a teenager who was an excellent teacher, and he would end a lot of his messages and his lessons with questions. And I always liked that because I could take it and reflect on it and work on some things. Anybody ever have things to work on? I felt like I got a lot. So I have some, I have some questions for you tonight. Number one. Does my life and my actions look like God's kingdom or the world's kingdom? I want you to think about that tonight. I want you to think about that when you leave here. Do my actions, my words, do they line up with God's kingdom, this oxymoronic kingdom? Or do they line up with the world and everything I see around me? Number two, do I love with an unconditional agape kind of love? Or do I have a conditional love with God or with people? Do I only love God when he answers me? Do I only love God when things are going well in my life? Do I only love people when they do what I want them to do? Do I love with an unconditional love? Do I love God and love people the way he loves me? Or is it conditional? It's got strings attached to it. Is my life an oxymoronic life in a bad way? Am I a proud Christian? Am I an unloving child of God? Am I an unforgiving servant? 
Is my life oxymoronic in the reverse way that I am pushing and repelling people away from God? Am I, is my life an oxymoron that is causing people to turn away from God? Or is my life anti this world that I draw people to him? That they look at me and go, I want what they have. I wanna, I wanna feel the joy that they feel. I wanna know how they hit that crisis in their life and they stayed happy. I wanna know how they faced that death in their family and they didn't lose their mind. I wanna know how that person was wronged and they didn't retaliate. They didn't hate. We have to live according to his kingdom. Because the world and its kingdom will perish. But his kingdom is everlasting and eternal. Don't get caught up in this life in the fast pace and forget which kingdom you're a part of. Don't get caught up in the day-to-day of work and family and craziness and social media that you forget what kingdom you're supposed to be a part of. It's a kingdom of love. I'm almost convinced that I should wake up every morning and read 1 Corinthians 13 before I do anything in the day, just read the whole chapter because, you know, the funny thing about that chapter when Paul is teaching about love is he says, if you don't have it, nothing else matters. So I can be the CFO of this church and I can fast this week and I can pray and I can prophesy on this stage. But if I don't have love, it's nothing means nothing. And I can perform all kinds of miracles and I can pray for you and you be healed of cancer. But if I don't have love, it means nothing. You don't get to choose to not be in a kingdom. You're either in his kingdom or you're in the world's kingdom. If you would, if you'd bow your heads, I just want to pray a prayer over us today. God, I pray for us tonight, Lord God, everybody in this room. Lord God, that we would take inventory of our life, that we would take inventory of our words, that we would take inventory of our actions. And we would decide, am I going to be in your kingdom, oh Lord God, or am I going to be in this world's kingdom? Am I going to love, Lord God? Am I going to walk in humility, Lord? Am I going to put others first? Am I going to show Christ wherever I go? In every situation, Lord. 
Or am I going to walk in a worldly kingdom only caring about myself, despising others, selfish in my ambitions, building my own kingdom? Lord God, right now I pray over your people. Lord God, let us be in the kingdom of light. I pray for everybody in this room, Lord God, that there would be a drawing of your Holy Spirit towards the kingdom of light, towards this oxymoronic kingdom that is different from anything that that this world has ever seen, Lord God, that when we leave these doors, Lord God, that when we are in our workplaces, when we are at our schools, Lord God, when we are out at the store, Lord God, that they would see Christ in us, that they would see a kingdom that is not of this world, that we would be a light in the midst of darkness, Lord God. God, that we would be a drawing to you that your name would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, oh Lord God, on earth like it is in heaven, Lord Jesus. God, that we would fulfill that prayer, Lord God, by walking according to your kingdom. And we would walk forth with power in the power of your Holy Spirit who supplies all our needs to live this life in a godly fashion. You have supplied everything we need, Lord God, to walk in your kingdom. There is nothing that was unfinished when you died on that cross and you rose from the grave. There is nothing undone in my life, nothing that wasn't provided for, nothing that wasn't atoned for, nothing that wasn't given to me that I could walk this thing out, Lord God, according to your purpose, for the riches of your glory, Lord God, in Christ Jesus. Lord God, right now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see, Lord God, for the time is drawing near and there is no time to waste. Let us walk according to your kingdom, Lord God. Let us be sober, vigilant, knowing our adversary, Lord God, is seeking to destroy, Lord God, but greater is he that is within us than he that is within this world. And we will walk this out, Lord God, with power. And we will see your kingdom built. And we will see, Lord God, a harvest of souls in Cleveland, Tennessee. And we will see your name be lifted high and your glory go out from this place. And when your name is lifted high, you will draw all men to you. Seal this word tonight, Lord God, in our hearts, and our minds. Feed us from your table this week, Lord God. And I believe, Lord God, when everybody in this room, when they come in Sunday morning, they will come in rejoicing, bringing a harvest with them of what you have done through them for your kingdom. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory and we give you all the honor, Lord God, for you are the only one who is deserving. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. I know I lost, a, uh, I know I lost another bet tonight because my wife always bets that I'm going to cry when I, when I speak. But I love you all. Can't wait to see you again. Uh, hopefully I will see you again soon, but I will probably be in Chattanooga this Sunday. But I know you will be here, and there will be an awesome service here in Cleveland. Love you all. Have a great night.